My name is Era, and I'm the host of the Tamil Creator Podcast. I chat with creators from all over the world to share their stories and discuss hot topics in a way that I hope inspires, educates, and entertains you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Tamil Creator. I'm your host. Today, I am joined by Charles Bosco, all the way from the UK. And what a name, Charles Bosco, for a Tamil person. Anyways, it's, he's, he's meant for big things when you have a name like that. He's a serial entrepreneur, um, as I said, based in the UK, and he has done a number of different things around software and just non-software in, in the world of music, healthcare, and his most recent project, which is an NFT one called Millionaire Monkey Club, which I'll kind of go into further, but I'll let Charles, you know, introduce himself. So Charles, welcome to the show. Thank you for jumping on. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Ara. Um, great, great stuff you're doing with Tamil Culture. I've seen so many um, entrepreneurs come on here, so many artists, all these people you've kind of brought down on, onto your platform, um, giving them the spotlight. So it's really great. Thank you. Thanks, Charles. Um, you know, I'm always a fan of starting at the beginning. I'm a new dad. So now I know I look at my kids and like, you know, everything starts at the beginning, not everything, but how, you know, what kind of influences they had kind of helped them make a set of decisions that got to them, got to them, got them where they are today. So why don't you tell us about your upbringing? And, you know, how that played a part in you becoming a serial entrepreneur and then eventually landing on, you know, this most recent exciting project, uh, Millionaire Monkey Club. But just start at the beginning. Tell us, you know, how you grew up, your siblings, if you have any. Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, came in, came in the UK uh, in the very early uh, what, 89, um, 1989, got to the UK. I was born in Sh- Colombo, in Sri Lanka. Um, so... My brother was actually born in Bahrain, so initially, so he's four years older than me. He was born in Bahrain, and then we didn't have that many support, uh, not many Sri Lankans or Tamils uh, in Bahrain. So my mum thought, look, let's go back to Sri Lanka. So that's, that's when I was born. Um, we were there with all our families. And then that's it. We, we came to UK um, looking for more opportunities. We, we, the whole family came through, so we were looking for jobs and all this kind of stuff, uh, parents. Um, so my dad got into uh, a job and then we kind of just went from there. We, we played by ear, um, while dad was working, me and my brother will be studying. We go to the Tamil school, which is every other week. And then, yeah, we just grew up as the years go by. We made friends within the Tamil community and we went into university. Generally, like the Tamils coming from like Sri Lanka, they would be on that vibe where they want to work hard and set their path for their kids and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, my my dad was a heavy grinder, working um, here and there, shop and other stuff. And also, mum would spend most of her time taking me and my brother to classes, be it Tamil school or keyboard classes or learning any other cultural activities. And that's when me and my brother grew a passion for music. We got into keyboard, and then he got into singing. Um, I got into other like drums, tabla, and all that kind of stuff. And we started doing more music, collaborating. Uh, and then it became like a, a service where I was doing music for um, African artists. Um, that's my first step into the music industry, um, producing for African artists, um, as well as um, doing music for my brother, uh, trying to get him out there and, and well, both of us. And we started collaborating with loads of artists globally, uh, be it African. We had people from US, Sri Lanka uh, coming in. Um, and that's kind of it. So one of the one of the tracks blew up called Kuruvi. Um and from that I got more opportunities into film music um and independent music also. 
Um, that's kind of where my name got out mainly in, in the music industry. And then after that, um, I mean, in the UK, we always wanted to do teaching. Uh, we wanted to give back to our community. Um, we were teaching in various Tamil schools, um, various uh, institutions like Malayalam institutions. Um, and me and my brother would, like our weekends would go just for teaching. Um, loads of traveling, um, teaching up and down. Um, that was kind of our, like our side hustle. So doing music and then side hustling, doing our class. And then, yeah, uh, I, I, after I stopped teaching, I went to Chennai, did some movie work uh, within the music industry. Then I came back from my connections. I then thought, look, I mean, I studied IT, studied my brother. Look, let's um, go into that field. And that's when I teamed up with uh, Santosh Palavish, who runs UMM uh, Digital. Um, so he was really, really successful in Chennai, um, had over 200 staff working on social media marketing and um, custom software development. And he, he came to the UK and he was like, look, let, let's do something. Let's, I want to branch out, um, get more UK clientele. And, and that's when our kind of, um, I brought on all my clients um, who I'd worked with or I'd known through my music journey. And these would be like some, some who are like high net worth individuals who've been part of um, uh, the, my growth or uh, in some way. Um, and then, yeah, we just grew, grew our client base and onboarded loads of IT uh, projects, uh, still currently um, doing loads of IT work on the side. Music here and there. So, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm part of Arjun's music team. We're not only producing music, or we'll say he's tour manager. We've been to various countries, Chennai, Malaysia. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that's ongoing. Um, and then, yeah, this um, NFT popped about last year, and, and that's that's going huge now and I thought look I mean having a tech company and having vast interest in the crypto space why not um, get into that and and that's when uh, I wanted to start like a community and bring people together uh, not only the Tamil community like any community who are interested in crypto um, and learning or they want to learn anything really about real estate or they want to learn about crypto or about music um, I wanted to start this community where I can onboard influencers to be speakers and talkers to share their knowledge and at the same time bring more value to the, the community um, by reinvesting or building products where the whole community can benefit from it. That's a great, great intro. I know you said it kind of a lot there, but I like to kind of, you know, break it down. So, you know, you obviously had a passion for music and this is just a comment, but like, what is it with the UK guys? Like, you know, and even Nelson, obviously in tech, but, you know, you guys are like Renaissance men in a way where, you guys have so many different interests like this guy you know nelson for example obviously makes his films and he has tech and then he does a bunch of other stuff so i don't know what it, and you know i think he ran like a couple of restaurants so you're the same way like you have your hands in like different areas but i feel like it's really as a creator you get your influences or like your brain gets stimulated by putting yourselves in these situations where you're in different um industries because there's a lot of cross-pollination ideas so maybe that's what the commonality is, but just an observation. But yeah, why don't we start off with, you know, music. You created something or you helped create something called Singify. Tell us a bit about that, what the goal of that was and how that, you know, what was the end result of that whole experience? Definitely. Uh, just, just a step back there. So so actually Nelson, I, I actually met um, through a, a movie project as well. So Nelson's great guys, Nelson and Kavira, um, they started up a production uh, house for Barking Man Production. And they did, a, I think... There's only a handful of UK progeny effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they approached me to uh, to do the music for that movie, and so we did like uh, five five tracks, five or six tracks. 
Uh, and that's when I met them and we've been good friends since then. He's obviously been really busy. He's doing amazing in the startup field. And then, yeah, I know Nelson's been part of the Tamil culture as well. He's done podcasts here and there. Um, definitely, we catch up here and there. Um, going on to your next question was Singify. So the founder of Singify was Yadavan. Um, and his background is he, he's been working closely in marketing, recruitment, and accounting. Um, and he's a really an entrepreneurial person um, who I've learned so much throughout the journey because he, he had so much experience in working in telecom industry where he had worked in distribution, marketing amongst that uh, with the leaders um, of of the telecom industry when when you name the um, like calling back overseas in the names of Lebara, Leica and all these guys. So Yadam was a close player there. He, he'd worked closely with, with those founders and... Somehow he he'd heard of me, like being in the music industry from the, the, the tracks or whatever I've created. And through mutual friends, we, we'd met up a few times. And he's always had a passion for singing. He'd like to encourage people to sing as well. Um, and he just came up with the idea, like, I, I want to I wanna have a platform to help people sing. Why is it that we always have to go to India or take part in these competitions to, or like Super Singer to, to get our name out there? Why can't there be a platform where we can all just sing on there and um, not judge? Or we can just vote on each other's performances and, and collaborate through that way. And also at the same time, how do we improve our vocals? Like not everyone can afford to go to India or get, get feedback from these big playback singers. Um, why can't our platform have an algorithm where it gives back um, feedback uh, and a scoring mechanism uh, and based on that, the singers improve again and again. So, and and the app was for any bathroom singer to playback singer. Uh, we had high quality music produced, reproduced by the likes of Santos Narayanan. We had karaoke's from Air Rahman. We we had all these um, official uh, karaoke tracks given by big labels like Sony, Think Music. Um, we even had like exclusive rights to like Kabali movie, all these soundtracks. And it would, the main purpose was to help people sing and get their name out and build a platform. Um, and yeah, so, so the idea came from Yadavan and he was like, look, let me bring my expertise in marketing um, and accounting into this. Why don't you come on board and be a partner and look after the music um, and the licensing part? Um, so that, that's how we kind of went in. And obviously, because of the tech background, I was kind of managing the tech. Um, we hired some tech developers back in Sri Lanka. Um, and that's it. That, that was about three years of our journey. And then before we sold off, um, yeah, that, that, that was a great journey in a startup world. Um, we traveled to India, we traveled to UK. Um, we had design done in various other countries. Uh, in Malaysia, we were getting production done. Um, that's it. I think close to about 28,000 users we had. Um, but then, yeah, there were some restrictions in terms of um, global expansion we were kind of limited. We, we could only expand in some countries because of the licensing and licensing also became really expensive and the cost of redeveloping or reproducing the music also became expensive. So it didn't make sense to continue. So we had to sell off. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like a really great idea. There's a lot of product called Wattpad, which is the equivalent for like writing where <clears throat> anybody can publish like parts of like a novel and then you have a community kind of, you know, contributing to it or giving feedback or like even becoming your first you know, fans. So 
I like that idea of Singify, but it makes sense of why you kind of saw that the cost of became. Yeah, licensing was a bomb. And I mean, yeah, the, the whole fun fact was there. Like, um, th there was a section called Stage where I could sing a song and put it on there. And every time I got likes, it will come up like kind of a Facebook type place. But it's like a stage where you can see the top 20 for this week and hear their vocals and give your feedback. It was fun. It was definitely fun. But yeah. How did you guys end up getting sold? Did you? Did you like actively seek out a, a like a buyer, or did a buyer find you? Like, how no, did so what, one of the investors he wanted to take over um, because he liked our uh, tech tech company we had. So we, we had about I think uh, about ten to twelve developers at that time. Um, so throughout the project, they grew with us, and um, the investor wanted to acquire that tech team. Um, so we kind of sold it as a package. Uh, you, you take our developers and our product, um, and really have the IP and everything um, with it. And like, do you, do you have any idea of how it's going today or like what it's evolved to? No, I, th I think the, the, the tech company was used for other products um, and they've kind of pocked the Signify idea because they, they understand <laughs> the restrictions they have. Uh, yeah. Got it. Okay. Interesting. And then you went from like music. The next thing you did was like Google Doc, Google Doc right? Is that how you pronounce it? Google yeah, Doc? yeah, yeah. So Google Doc is... It's kind of like the Uber for healthcare. So instead of ordering a taxi or ordering food, you can order a doctor to come straight to your to your house, your workplace. Um, we're trying to patch that that convenience part where if if you're you don't have time, you're at work and you've got a one hour lunch break and you want to quickly see a doctor, the doctor can travel to you. Or you're um, you're travelling to uh, UK from a different country and you don't have access to healthcare, or you don't know where to go, you can just download GoGoDoc and we'll come to your hotel um, and give you give a consultation. From that, it started off like that. And then obviously COVID hit, we kind of needed to uh, scale. Um, not everyone wanted a doctor or they were scared to go out of their house or go to work. Um, there was kind of a peak and then there was lockdown. So there's no travel, there was travel restrictions. Um, so we had to quickly change our business plan where we you could FaceTime a doctor instead. Uh, you can either FaceTime or you can uh, call call one of the doctors we had on our router. This episode is sponsored by Nobody. That's right, Nobody. So if you could be kind enough to hit that subscribe button, that would mean a lot to me. In terms of obviously like healthcare, like Uberfying of anything is pretty competitive and healthcare obviously is a hot industry, you know, will continue to be. Um, how did you guys like what was the business model because I know in the UK it's very similar to Canada with like social healthcare for the most part um, so like was the end user being charged or like the doctors get charged for being listed on the platform what was the business model like for that so so ideally so we don't charge doctors we, we've we've got doctors on payroll so they would they would be working for us full-time um, the idea was to scale so that we could get doctors uh, on a commission basis, like exa exactly like Uber drivers, for each ride they take a share. Uh, I mean, we take a cut, and and they take their fair share. That that's our idea. Even even when we scale up, um, the idea first came um, so that we could. Sorry, so when Vijay, so um, let me give you a quick background there. So Vijay is a doctor, um, and he kind of came out with that whole Uberfying, um, that that kind of business model, um, and it was to not only get kind of uh, a commission uh, for doctors and all that kind of stuff, it was mainly to give convenience to patients. So in UK, how it works is everyone's entitled to kind of free healthcare. So, but, but it's not, I mean, it's not ideal. So 
to get an appointment with a doctor, it would, on average, uh, in the UK, when we did our survey, when we first launched, it was around four to six weeks to see a doctor. And that was the gap where we were trying to fill. Do you want to wait four to six uh, weeks or do you want to pay 60 pounds and see a doctor within an hour? So that was our selling point. Um, and generally, we had, we had celebrities booking us and then we had that whole high net worth, of indiv- high net worth individuals coming to um, book with us. Um, but it was whoever found it convenient or, or they wanted a doctor urgently, um, they wouldn't mind paying. That's why we were priced at a, a such low point during our launch um 60 pounds or wait six weeks that was that was kind of the model we wanted to go for initially it seems like with universal healthcare, it's a almost it's a you know socialist kind of concept which is like everyone should have access to healthcare, regardless of you know where they are economically with this model i definitely get the benefits because like i i i'm like i'll pay for anything that will save me time i feel like you know obviously time cannot be bought i will pay as long as i can afford it anything that brings me that so this idea makes sense but from like a high level society point of view or like did you ever have face any criticism around this model which is you know you know this is great but only people that you know can afford it can you know pay that 60 pounds or whatever it is to you know uh speed up the process of seeing a doctor versus like if you don't have the money well you're tough out of luck you're gonna wait for four to six weeks like did you ever face any kind of criticism like that so we, di- we didn't get much criticism over the pricing um, model ever. Um, it's more or less been criticism saying, oh, why are we getting doctors on board when they should be working with their NHS, the government? But then in the government, I mean, all, all the staff are kind of overstretched when it comes to NHS uh, and all that kind of stuff. So if anything, it was trying to improve people's lives. If, if, if you want a quick appointment, you, you can book with us. And we made sure... All our GPs not only work for us full time, they also have to give back to the NHS. So whether they work with us, they would have to do a couple of days with the NHS. So that at least we're supporting both systems. Got it. Okay, interesting. And how is that going today? Is that still something that is running? Was it been sold off, shut down? Like how, how's that going? No, it's still running. It's still running. We've been um it's been growing and growing. So after launching the app, we we then wanted a physical presence. So we've actually opened up uh, a physical location at Paddington uh, in the heart of London. Um, so we've got loads of patients coming in. Um, obviously, COVID's played a part where not many people are traveling and not people are going to work. They're all working from home. So um, we do, most of our requests are all um, video consults or teleconsults. Um, so that's really picked up uh, in the last two years. And, you know, in the UK, have you seen, like, this is just more of a general COVID slash behavioral change, but I know that things are starting to open up and, you know, people were, you know, if you look at two years ago, even a year ago or six months ago, a bit more hesitant about leaving. But I feel like that sentiment is slowly, if not quickly changing, especially with younger people where they're like, screw it. You know, we've been double vaccinated, triple vaccinated. You know, everyone has, everyone I know had COVID at some point. We're going to just, we're going to start going out. Maybe they're not partying in the streets, but like they're just going out, they're socializing. You know, do you see some kind of normalist, like a normal behavior starting to kind of come back with like, you know, busy commutes to downtown London or, yeah, just curious about that. No, definitely. I think, I think it's, it's coming back to normal now. Um, some people are still hesitating, um, but the cases have dropped. So I think everyone's trying to come back to normal. Events wise, it's definitely picking up. Um, after COVID, everything got shut down. So there was nothing. But now you can see every other weekend, there's been shows happening, be it uh, Indian shows. Um, Tamil shows have reduced drastically, um, but 
Indian and Punjabi shows, they're still happening. Um, and club nights, yeah, they're still going on as well. So people are still, um, they miss out, right? They, they missed two years of partying, uh, going out, catching a drink with their with their mates. And I think now, after they're double vaccinated and the cases are going down, they, they're more comfortable. So there are still people doing that. And, you, you know, I know you you kind of already talked about the UMM Digital, the, the agency. So I want to get to, you know, the, you know, your newest project, which is, you know, an exciting one. It seems like one that you're excited about, Millionaire Monkey Club. So why don't we kind of go into, you know, why you started, et cetera. Like, I, I know you have a passion for music and I'm a huge fan of creators. So I see NFTs as being this generational change of technology to kind of help recoup more value back to creators with, you know, the mechanisms in place. So what made you create this particular NFT project? Because, you know, I think there's a stat that I read where like 95% of all NFT projects that are created, most of them will go to zero. There's there's a few really good ones that will probably continue to stay. Like I think of Gary Vee's, I, I think he did an excellent job with that and a few others that I follow. So, you know, why do you, you know, wh- why do you see value in yours? And like, um, you know, why do you think that it'll, it won't be one of those 95% of projects that fail? So when you look at crypto uh, overall, there's there's so much um, noise around there. And I think probably 90 to 95% of the noise we hear is all about scam um, and uh, stolen NFTs or stolen cryptos or hacking and all this kind of stuff. The, the, the good part of it is we, we hardly see it, but there are loads of benefits to being part of a community and a club like for example if you're part of a, a board ape you've got access to all these basketball players um and all these influencers um and you can even go to their their parties and and you have access to i think a, a property where you can all go and chill anytime you want and you, you can basically hang out with like the likes of mark cuban and gary v there's nothing for a beginner so if a beginner wanted to come in into a board ape and they can't afford it they, they can't really go in there unless there's a there's a new community where they can go where it has either unique um, a give back to the community or it's, it's the same. I mean, you can't match a, a board ape or, or you can't do the same as a board ape because they all should have different. Um, what is it? Different uh, kind of characteristics. Yeah. Different characteristics, what they can give back to the community. So. I mean, there's, there's, there was one called Crypto Punks as well, which was one of the really first, which blew up. And you have all these celebrities jumping on. And, and on the back of that, you get loads of real estate people and all these crypto investors just jumping on, jumping on. In my one, anyone can join in at, at, at such a low rate because, because it's the beginning, it's the start. And at the same time, we've got so many influencers who have came on board who are not only willing to just be part of it and saying, look, I own about four or five. I want them, the, the influencers to give back to our community. So even if we got like uh, a celebrity like Andrea, um, who, who's a well-known actress, over 2 million followers, the aim is not to just get her on board to do a tweet or an Instagram post. It's for her to do uh, either a song for our community and for any royalties, anything tied to that song is given back to our community. So we, the community, own that particular song, whether it gets featured in a Netflix series or, or in Spotify, we, we keep on collecting that royalties. Likewise, there could be a, a real estate investor uh, who wants to give a talk um, to the community and, um, and people would want to learn from him. Or there's Arjun, who's, who's recently came on board as well, who's 
he's been touring and I mean, I've been trying to educate Arjun on NFTs as well. Um, and he wants a, a new way to connect to his fans. This could be a way where anyone holding an NFT, they get exclusive access to some of his songs. They get meet and greet passes. So it's kind of, this is a pass to get to not only my contacts, it's, it's, the, it's the contacts who are joining from the noise. And at the same time, they're all helping each other. They're also, some people are saying, look, I want to come. I want to moderate in your Discord channel. I want to do this. I want to give back um x amount of money to, on competitions for the community um i want to give my knowledge on real estate uh, my knowledge on metaverse all these people they're coming on board with so many new ideas and we want to bring the community and grow it within that and that's what creates the value uh, for our nft so it's it's kind of a pass uh, the nft to get into our community and learn and grow so for you you created this as a combination because I, I think there's a obviously huge mental shift from like web 2 to web 3 Obviously, like you have like a network and like things that you've kind of built up. Is this kind of a way for you to monetize kind of the, all the work you've been doing, all the connections in a way that also benefits you, but also benefits the community as well? Because instead of, you know, you might have like, say, 5,000 contacts, but you don't have the time to facilitate connections between them. But if you bring them to the same place and kind of allow them to kind of do that, hopefully by letting that spark, because building a community is very hard. It's like, it's like starting a fire. You have to like, takes a lot of work to start that fire but then once the fire gets going it's able to maintain it so is that the idea here like you want to be able I totally to agree I totally agree with you um one in uh building a community is really tough and and then keeping that community active and sustaining it that's that's another problem um but once you get a really good active community that that's the key to to a good uh, nft the other the uh, the other part of what you said was this is this has been the only project where I could literally take all the people I've met throughout my life and on my journey and bring them together at this place, uh, be it IT, music, movie, or any celebrities, influencers, anyone I've met, this has been probably the only path where I can connect everyone together and let them give back to the community and we all learn and grow together. Yeah. And the reason yeah. I can say all that is like, this is like a thought that came through my mind when I saw NFTs for the first time. I, like I know so many people, I've connected so many people, I've never been able to like really monetize. It's not like I'm looking to, but if I did, I'm like, oh, NFTs and building community and doing all of that seems like such the ideal way for anybody, like anybody yeah. in any kind of, you know, there's so many niches. So I feel like there's so much to go around. Like, you know, you could be like an avid sports fan. You could be an avid bird watcher, you know, whatever else. And you can kind of just create these communities um, to monetize. Um, how do you, cause like, you know, in a web two company, if you're building something, it's pretty straightforward, right? Like you incorporate whatever it is, you start building, you build an audience, yeah. monetize, and there's some kind of pathway to like an exit or some kind of, you know, what depending on your goal. How do you look at it for like an NFT collection where, you know, obviously the value of the your NFTs as you build more value and the community becomes more active and more and more desirable people join your community, access becomes more of a premium. How do you look at what the end result is in terms of not an exit per se, but like from a, you know, a monetary business point of view, how, how would you deem this to be successful? Or like, how do you plan to exit out of this? So, so this, is, this is mainly in the hands of the community itself. So that, that's our point of Web3, where you let the community decide in what you want to do. Um, so we're actually implementing uh, a DAO, which is more of a decentralized uh, autonomous organization where the voting rights are all with the community. So it's it's not me saying, look, I want to uh, donate to this charity or I want to launch uh, a casino within the metaverse. 
it's giving the options to the community and they're voting for this and if they've said is look let's let's go that way or let's let's develop a mobile app um, that's how we're going to go from it and i think that's the key to the growth um rather than having that web 2 or web 1 approach where it's one person's um ownership and he's making all the decisions um this one we can collectively grow and probably grow faster. Um, I think Web3 is going to grow in, at a faster rate uh, to what Web2 was, um, only because of that DAO element. No, one of the criticisms, but not criticisms, but like the challenges with DAO, they sound great on paper. And in, you know, even though with Web3 it's decentralized and everyone loves that idea, I still see it like I see a lot of like content around this, which is there's a reason why people also like centralized, even though, you know, there's a central point of failure, etc. Like if you look at OpenSea, it's Web3, but it's centralized. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think the idea of decentralized, I think theoretically sounds great. Uh, and I think obviously there's something there, but there's a lot of challenges with decentralization. And I'm starting to see more and more sub DAOs and like those kind of popping up just because, you know, you think of in your case, I think there's like 10,000, 10,000 people yeah. organizing them. It's almost like a constitution with the, the rules and evolving those rules to kind of help, you know, um, make sure everyone's feedback and ideas and everything's kind of incorporated. It's kind of difficult to even think of like a party with 10,000 people versus a party with like five. So if there's like a sub DAO of like five, that's easier to coordinate than that. So I, I know I just said a bunch of like stuff that, you know, this things that I've been thinking about as well. I'm curious about like how you're thinking about these challenges of like managing, because a DAO sounds great. Like it, I, I think gi giving a community the power to decide what they want to do is great. But there's also a reason why Web2 still works for people and why yeah. it's going to be slow to like kind of fully go yeah. from Web2 to Web3. So how do you think about that? I'm just curious about your thoughts. Did you know that every time you left a 5 out of 5 review for this podcast, a Tamil parent lets their child pursue a career in the creative arts? Okay, that's probably not true. But if there's a chance that it is, do you really want to jinx it? Leave a review. Do it for the young creative in you. So... NFT is really new, and and the main thing which I've well, the challenging part of uh, this whole collection has been education. So educating um, newcomers into the NFT, what is an NFT? And I'm having to ha having to repeat this um, the same content about Web three and NFTs again and again and again. Um, which is good in a way. Um, the more people who get on board, uh, not w even with just my collection, with anything generally, they'll, they'll have uh, they'll have an idea of implementing DAO or uh, Web three into their projects. Again, when it comes to DAO, it's kind of I mean, there's a way to centralize it by educating people. So I mean, if there's realistically, if it's a ten thousand collection, you won't get ten thousand owners. It's it's probably less where where some people will own. Uh, three NFTs or four NFTs, or some people want to even hold, if they're VCs, they probably hold 100 to 200 NFTs because they just want to see the exit value was probably to flip or or to reinvest. So in that sense, if you have more NFTs, you'll get more ownership. There is that section of DAO. Um, so if you if you want more say in whatever you want or decision making, then you, you form a collective and you get more NFTs and then you, you can... Um, you can persuade or you can vote. Your voting rights is equivalent to how many NFTs you will have. At the same time, for those who don't have enough NFTs, it will be educating. I mean, educating what's best or we think is best for the project. It's about educating them on the pros and cons and all that. If they understand through that and then they vote, then that's good. Obviously, there will be a crowd who will be against anything. Um, 
but yeah, it, it, I think the key part on that is educating them uh, on what's best for the community to grow as well as the project. How would you describe an M- NFT to your mom? <laughs> That's funny. Uh, so my mom wants to buy one of my NFTs and she's like, look, I'll just give you cash. Just give me one. <laughs> Not knowing that like, you need a, a digital wallet and all this and that. Um, so my, my mom's a typical uh, Tamil mom who, who's at home cooking for us and all that. She she knows about crypto. She knows about coins. Even back then, um, so uh, I was one of the early investors in Ethereum, and that went really well. And then start managing money um, NFT. I'm sorry, uh, crypto for all these high net worth individuals, and that just went really well. And then my mom started getting into it. She was like, "Oh, look, I'll give you some money. Put it put it on here. Put it on that." Uh, and then I, I eventually one by one started to get all my family into it. Um, but ever since I've mentioned this NFT, she's been like, oh, wow. Because before I did th- this, uh, th- this whole community, the, the Millionaire Monkey Club, um, I was part of some other NFT projects. And, I, and me and my brother would invest and we would tell her, look, this just made like 5x or 100x in X amount of days. And she's like, oh, wow, this is really good. And she's always been motivating. She's like, oh, what? Like she would see the monetary value double and all that, right? So she wouldn't know the technology behind what was this painting and this, that, what you're drawing on the iPad. Um, That's the only part she would understand. But I think the underlying part is for explaining it to her would be similar to crypto, but you own a coin and you keep it, you hold it. The the longer you hold it, the more value you'll get. Obviously the, the, the other parts of it, they probably won't get. I mean, in a sense, it's like being a pass or you can network with celebrities and all that because there's so much behind NFT. It's not just like a pass to get in. You've got access to other stuff and you win money from it and all that. But yeah, it, it's a slow progress in, in teaching mom about NFTs. But yeah, I'll get there. I, I, and that's a good answer. I guess if I were to rephrase, if you were to explain it, like um, a, a good exercise I do for myself when I'm trying to explain technology is, could I explain this to like, someone older like a mom or dad so like they have something called the mom test so yeah. if you were like speaking to a mom like just picture yeah. like a mom, like it could be any it could be a mom it could be a grandpa whatever it is but i just call yeah. it the mom test yeah how would you explain in like 20 seconds or 30 seconds what an nft is well like, what would you say okay so i mean this is how i explained it to my mom so i said this this is an NFT. it's a painting okay and this painting is a pass to a club yeah and in that club you can meet celebrities you can meet influencers and you can learn from them and that and the value you get from that is to build your own startup your own uh projects um and getting advice to build um companies or to help yourself grow um that that's what what it would be got it okay what's like what's been the biggest challenge you've had kind of building up millionaire monkey club so far in these early stages I mean, we've had good um, press coverage, so we've had um, good PR around it. Um, we've the the main struggle we've had was educating people um, and getting more members in. And at the same time, we've got scammers uh, to deal with as well. So there's been so many people uh, launching um, fake collections of ours, um, uploading onto OpenSea, and uh, messaging people in our community saying, "Hey." check this out, uh, the collection is now public when it's not even launched yet. Um, and, and some people have fallen for those <laughs> tricks um, and have lost um, a couple of uh, hundred pounds or um, whatever they've, they've 
put the minting price to. Um, so we've had to scale our team. We've got around, I think, close to eight members now, including all our moderators, um, to stop these scammers getting involved. And we've had to scale up on our technology as well, bringing new measures uh, for people to verify their accounts before they come into our um, Discord server. Um, there's been people even creating fake websites similar to ours and making it look like ours and just changing their domain name with just one character and making it look like they're the official one. So there's been those are the main challenges. So getting on uh, people, educating them, um, and yeah, scammers. I know you're working on a number of different projects. So you've already you're working on Millionaire Monkey Club. You do a bit of music. You're doing GoGo Doc. Um, I think you still do UMM Digital. So like. How do you manage your day or week? Like, how do you do you have certain days you do certain projects, certain parts of the day you do certain kinds of work? Like, how do you plan out your week in terms of what work you do? It kind of varies. So, some require more attention than the other. So, Millionaire Monkey Club, it's, it's it, it requires more attention because there's new members coming in on a daily basis. We're getting close to around 100 to 150 people coming in every day, new. So we have to be on top of that and managing the moderators and, and our marketing team. So that kind of requires more attention. That's kind of my main focus right now, I would say. The rest is kind of running on its own on autopilot. So UMM, we have a great team. We have over 200 staff. I've got Santosh also managing it. And we've got uh, account managers dealing with each project. So UMM is running on its own. So is GoGodoc. Uh, we've got a great team at GoGodoc. And yeah, so kind of just moving one to another and music i do i mean really I, i've stepped back on making music um but touring is fun i love traveling so um going with arjun to places and going to any shows that and all that is still happening on the side um and that's usually just on the weekends but most of my time is fully into the millionaire monkey club at the moment and then how do you you know from like um money management or like investment point of view um are all these companies paying you some kind of salary or like dividend and then, like, how are you taking that money and investing? Because, I mean, I know with most Web3 guys that are currently into Web3, they'll say everything is going into some kind of, you know, into an NFT or, like, their crypto project. So what are you doing with your money? So most of my investments are in, I would say, crypto. Crypto has been the highest returns for me in terms of all the investments. Um, so I tend to reinvest in, in crypto and also now into NFT. And th there's been so much that's gone into this NFT Millionaire Monkey Club as well. So I think the next focus will be um, just reinvesting more and more into NFT projects um, and into the metaverse. Um, th th there's so much we can do in the metaverse and all, all of it will go into that. And and yeah, go, go, going back to your question, I think so some of them I'm shareholders. So I sit back and we try and just attend meetings. And returns and for returns we just get dividend. Uh, for some they they pay salary um, for here and there whenever we come in. But yeah, it's kind of a mix of both really. So most of your invest like any kind of revenue that you're generating for yourself, most of it's going into NFTs slash crypto. How about things like property or like you know stock market? Or are you just like you don't believe in those? Like if you're into Web three, it's hard to kind of see the value. So stock, yes, uh, before I did, um, but now it's kind of eighty percent uh, crypto NFTs and twenty percent stock. And yeah, uh, real estate, no, not really much. I mean, after crypto is when I mean I kind of reinvested into property. Um, so my my, my property was bought with Ethereum. Oh. Uh, <laughs> it's all ever since everything else has been back into crypto. At what point did you get into Ethereum? I think I got in between a hundred and two hundred. I got in when it was $35. Wow. Um, and yeah, um, 
but I was, chicken. like, I mean, I, I said I believed it and, you know, I think I, I bought a number of coins, but I, if I was really adamant in my belief, which I should have been, I would have tripled yeah. down or quadrupled down on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, when it was $35, I mean, it was really early stage as well, because before that I was into Bitcoin, and me and my Signify partner, we, we actually were mining Bitcoins uh, back then. So we had our rigs, we, we bought mining machines from uh, Israel and we sent them to America because... America had the cheapest electricity rates um, versus UK. So we had them shipped there and then the mining profitability went down. Um, so we ended up selling that, but we had a couple of Bitcoins each. But that was when Bitcoin was on about $1,000. It wasn't, there wasn't much movement. We sold it, we got Ethereum. Um, and again, Ethereum, there wasn't much movement. So from $30, when it was about $35, we, we stepped in. And then when it got to $100, that's when we were like, oh, wow, okay let's invest more into it and that's when we started stocking up on ethereum and then i think when it got to like eight hundred dollars that's when uh i bought i bought property and reinvested into other coins so you, you were able to actually buy it with ethereum without uh, liquefying or liquidating the ethereum yes yeah that's right so i had bitcoin uh and then i sold my bitcoin to buy ethereum uh, okay, yeah better. No, I'm saying to buy the property, did you have to liquidate? Oh, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. To buy, yeah, yeah. I did. I Unfortunately, this, otherwise I would have kept it. <laughs> I read this interesting thing where they're trying to see in the future, because there's people like yourself or like others that have quite a bit of holding in like some kind of crypto coin, like, you know, Ethereum or Bitcoin, but they don't want to liquidate They don't, they don't want to liquidate it. They want to keep it, yeah. but yeah. somehow use that as leverage to purchase the building. So like I'm like I'm, it'd be really cool like I don't know if you could like have an NFT on the house and then like somehow like hold your Bitcoin and Ethereum as like a safe. I've seen know. I've seen some cases of that coming up now where people are converting houses into an NFT yeah. um, and any rental rental income from it goes back to the owners. Yeah. Um, I did look into it. It seemed a bit complicated and I don't think anyone's ready for it yet. Yeah, that'd uh, be a really cool time. idea though. Yeah, yeah, that that'll be really really good um and it could be it could be an entrance for anyone who can't afford one whole house yeah they could pitch in with I don't know, a couple of their friends and like 20 people come together and they buy a house together with an nft yeah i mean that could get... be like a small DAO almost right like that's yeah like, right like what exactly. you're agreeing on is how the house is managed what yeah you do with it what the income will be so yeah we'll see maybe there'll be a bunch of those going back to your point that yeah i, I had to liquidate and had to pay a hefty tax on top yeah. Because like that's the thing that people they don't want to pay like yeah you want to keep that asset because it's an increasing asset yeah yeah like there's two things they lose the the potential increase in value by selling yeah, yeah. And number two is they had to pay a tax so it's like they're getting hit twice yeah got to be yeah. a solution that solves that and exactly i would be very curious what that is um <laughs> is there any like you know outside of bitcoin ethereum any of the big names is there a coin that you're excited about like for me i'm still learning more about it and I see, I'm still trying to figure out how much to put in it, but like Luna is something that I'm following. Yeah. Um, is there something that you're following that you're, you know, excited about? So money can be hard to come by, but here is a hundred dollar opportunity for you. Join my free newsletter for free exclusive content and a free chance to win a hundred dollars when I hold special draws. Did I mention that it's free? I'm more looking into the gaming coins uh, rather than the typical um like the ripples or the bitcoins or um solana has been one um only for the fact that there there is little to none gas fees and transferring has been so easy it's within seconds you can transfer solana and everyone's moving to that even their projects they're moving to solana marketplaces 
gaming coins like Axie, Axie Infinity, um, and Decentraland is is the biggest one I'll be looking at. Um, I think it's called Mana. Um, we can buy plots of lands. Um, Decentraland and Sandbox, I believe, they're, they're both similar. And that's going to be a, a growing space um, because of the metaverse. What's your take on like the L2s, like the Polygon and like others that are kind of, because everyone's saying, you know, Solano is going to be the death of Ethereum and all that. But I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I know enough as other people that are fully immersed in the space. But just thinking of solutions like Polygon seem like Rootmatic can kind of help alleviate kind of the challenges with the high gas fees and the slower transactions. Um, yeah, what's your guess? Yeah, I I, I totally agree because uh, Polygon's been adapted closely on on some of these major platforms. Um, I think I think OpenSea are even there was some leak somewhere um, that OpenSea are also going to be introducing Polygon network and all, all this stuff in there. Um, there's definitely going to be an Ethereum killer somewhere. <laughs> um, Ethereum won't be sustainable and mining's not um, feasible. There's going to be definitely an Ethereum killer. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess a question I would ask for you is, if you you know you've done some amazing things, um, how old are you? Out of curiosity, so I'm 32. Okay, yeah. so let's go back 16 years. If you had a, if you had a chance to go back in a time machine yeah. and visit um, you know 16 year old Charles, what would you tell him? So back then I wasn't doing much reading and all this kind of stuff. I'm more into reading now, uh, like reading news articles or reading about all these tech stuff and all that. There, I think I was a bit more playful back then, and I don't know, it would be just chilling with friends, well, doing music on the side as well. There was a bit of entrepreneurial drive in me and I had some push there from family and all that kind of stuff. I don't know, 16 years ago. So <laughs> I don't know. It's not like that. I could have invested in Bitcoin um, <laughs> or any of this crypto, any of these stocks. I don't know. Because I'm happy with the route I took with education. I'm happy with friends I'm surrounded with. I'm happy and grateful for what my family have done. I wouldn't have changed anything. Um I'm quite happy how it's how it's all fallen into place. The only thing would have been, yeah, if 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 I knew like these investments and and more about all these innovative ideas, the entrepreneurial vibe into technology wasn't as much back then for me as it is now. Uh, if I stepped into that or researched more, like now, if you look at it, kids are looking into all these gamings or play to earn and all this kind of stuff. If I if I was more into gaming or I don't know more reading into stocks. Um, or into that, I probably would have taken a different route. Instead of like, you know, because I used to play, when I was younger, I used to play hours of like video games, like, you know, World of Warcraft, or like all these games. Yeah. But like when you think about it, there's not, I had nothing tangible to show for it. You know, that company owned like the screen time, all the digital goods I had, you know, you have to use like third party marketplaces to sell them. Yeah. Now I'm thinking about like, I'm not into games anymore, but if my kids were, I wouldn't. Like, you know, the typical time parent, I would be like, oh, don't play games. But like, no, yeah, like yeah. Learn, like there's some benefits to learning games. Yeah. And like, hopefully they can learn a bit. Like, you know, if, if the world evolves to where I think I'll go and they yeah. start making money out of it, I was like, yeah, you, you know, you, you, yeah, exactly. for, you earn the some one. money for us, you know, learn some skills. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we'll be like, telling uh, them to play 24 hours World of Warcraft uh, yeah. and they'll be earning money more than us. <laughs> I feel like that, like there's a lot of behavioral shifts. It's going to be really interesting as technology shifts because like I'm, you're part of the same group as me where we knew a world where there was no social media like those flip phones all that stuff to like what the world is now and like you know the gen z or whatever like they only grew up with all this but i can't imagine the next generation that is going to be even more savvy with technology but i don't want them to be you know 
just thinking about technology like there's the real world as well so that'll be kind of interesting but i think that's gonna be yeah i think that's gonna be one of the biggest challenges like uh, now when a kid's born and when they reach two they're on the ipads uh, they're, they're looking at peppa pig they're looking at all these brands uh, and at the same time it's kind of beneficial as well they learn so much from these uh media on youtube and and they probably learn three times or four times more than what we had learned because we weren't exposed to that um but god knows what, what the next set of babies they're going to be doing in the metaverse i mean <laughs> they're born and they got headsets on and that's it they they learn how to operate on humans and stuff i don't know it's it's crazy it's crazy what does um success look like for you for like you know i don't think i forgot i forgot to ask you this but for millionaire monkey club you know what does success look like for you you know say 30 you're looking out three four years from now um what would make you happy if this project was you know doing this so in three four years um success would be like um having some of the major celebrities involved like the likes of gary v or mark cuban kind of endorsing our collection or our collection even be featured on other platforms like Coinbase, NFT or uh, any up like these big brands involved. I know like having brands involved as well is a big thing. Like how Bored Ape had Adidas involved to create an official clothing line or, uh, um, or Prada involved. Um, that kind of stuff to do within, within not only our communities, but reach somewhere where we can make connections with i don't know uk brands or us brands and to give an advantage to our uh, community at the same time it's successful i mean three years would be we're having loads of launch parties with uh, our community traveling the world so we're planning to do launches all over the globe um and again that's that's a dow thing where, we, where we're going to vote on which country to do um but yeah success is probably a, a sold out collection um uh, our foot in the metaverse um, and to do something creative in there and useful that can potentially make us even more money to 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 give back to our community so that, that's the aim and yeah we want to be doing some something unique and creative in the metaverse in terms of your personal legacy in a few sentences like how do you want to be remembered by your friends and family um already friends and family they know me as they, they did know me as a crypto guy. <laughs> they, they would, first it was music, like, oh, he, he's doing music, he's doing this and that. He's, he's gone to India. He was one of the first Sri Lankan, um, Sri Lankans from UK to go and do stuff in India and movies and all that kind of stuff. And then it was, oh, crypto. Uh, he's into crypto now. He's there, that. I'll be known as the crypto guy. And now, even my friend circles, they're like, oh, what's going on with the NFT market? That, that, that's their first thing. They're like, they just drop the word NFT in anything. How's life? How's NFT? Um, so I don't know. It's, uh, I wouldn't be remembered as the, I don't know, the smiley technology guy who's always been with them. And yeah, that's, that's what it is. And this is the last question. As you're kind of talking, we talked earlier about kind of kids in the next generation. You know, if you had somebody that was like a parent or somebody, or even like you were talking to a kid that was 14, 13 now yeah. before they're about to go to university, college, um, I have like my own thoughts about like the future of education and things like that, but what would be your piece of like, what would be the advice that you would tell that young person today in terms of how to prepare themselves to be successful in the world they're about to, you know, see in five, 10 years? Mm, what would I tell a university person or going into university? Yeah. Like they're just like before, like say they're like 16, 17, 15, you know, they're kind of yeah. trying to, they're in that weird area where like they're told to figure out 
what degree to take, even though they haven't really experienced life. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, good yeah. Idea. But like, how would you, like, what kind of things would you tell them to think about? I mean, I would probably, <laughs> realistically, I'd probably force them to get into tech or engineering, um, just because I know like what's what the world is moving towards, like technology and blockchain, robotics is is a big big part and will be an ongoing part for the next 20 30 years so will the others as well i mean you would in order to do or to do like robotics and all that and, and getting to healthcare or niche parts you would need to know medical you need to have medical background as well as robotics but technology is always going to be an underlying factor um throughout the next 20 years i, I would probably show them what what what's been happening or, or the growth of technology and what's been happening in the metaverse or um blockchain and all these and make them understand look there is a future for these um and it will go on for years and years and also show them the fun fun side of it the games the play to earn and all these stuff or call of duty stepping into blockchain all this kind of stuff would be forcing them so it's more attractive to them as well but yeah i, I would number one pitch definitely technology well it's a good way to segue into the last segment of the podcast is meant to be a speed round I'm going to say a bunch of statements and you're going to say the first thing that pops into your mind. Ready? Okay. Is it a word? Am I saying a word? Or no, anything? no. You just like a quick answer. Not necessarily a word. Okay. Like a, a okay. brief answer. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Favorite Tamil food? Tamil food. Uh, it's been mutton rolls. Definitely. Something that scares you? Scares me. Uh, death. Insecurity that you have? Um, securities. Securities. Oh. Security is my appearance. I I'm not really comfortable or I'm a shy guy. I don't like going out. Um, insecure, insecure about that. Favorite TV show you're watching? Favorite TV show would be Modern Family. Uh, somewhere you're itching to travel to after this pandemic is over? Oh, Sri Lanka, 100%. Another Tamil creator you want to give a shout out to? Um, at this point, uh, Viknesh, uh, Meta Coven, give a shout out to him. Uh, he's been... Um, an idol in this metaverse space. So definitely a big shout out to Vignesh. Uh, you know that I did an interview with Medicovin's partner. Oh, really? <laughs> yes, I did. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you what episode that is after. Uh, favorite childhood memory? Childhood memory. Uh, for me, it would be traveling on the train with my mom and brother to keyboard class every week. Um, it would be peaceful. There's no, no other thoughts. And it would just be that ride. Uh, I love that, Jen. Something that you like to do for fun outside of work? Oh, gaming. Favorite movie of all time? Oh, favorite movie. This is a tough one. There's quite a few. Um, so this is English and Tamil, right? Or... Uh, it could be one or the other or both. So Tamil has been Pareyapa. Um, I'm a Rajinikant fan and probably a fan. Um, English series-wise, my favorite was um, Sense8. Um, just because I love the directors and uh, what they've done and their thought process behind that whole series. Movie, I would say Matrix. Um, well, there's probably, there's probably some, I, I love all the Marvel movies. Um, but yeah, I would say Matrix and Sensei. Yeah, for Tamil films, I either love Money Retina movies or Regiment Khan movies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> those, those are the two. Um, what's a purchase you've made that you've splurged on recently in the last few years that you have no regret about? <laughs> actually the e-scooter uh got it got it a few weeks ago and yeah just been going around it's fun pet peeve uh judgmental people if you knew that you were going to die tomorrow a regret that you would have i was going to die tomorrow no i don't think i would have no regrets celebrity or 
like just anybody famous or whoever it is that you would want to experience their life for one day? <laughs> uh, probably uh, Floyd Mayweather. Oh, that's interesting. First time I heard that. Okay. Um, a book you read or a podcast you've listened to that's recently had an impact on you, like that you've listened to or read recently that's had an impact on you? Um, so I think it would be more podcasts. I've heard uh, Bex King. Um, he's really good. I've seen his quotes and also his podcast. Really good. What's a new belief, behavior, habit that's improved your life? New habit uh, would be reading. Um, I didn't used to do it, but reading in the morning. As soon as I get up, it's probably the biggest change for me. And finally, what's a piece of advice that you'd give to your fellow Tamil creators out there? Um, definitely branch out. Um, instead of just sticking to that typical Tamil where you're forced to what your family want, um, I think take a leap of faith and get into like other, uh, other sectors um, like tech. I mean, I mean, there's less people going into tech, but definitely... Not only tech, even the arts and culture side of things, like get into that. There's, there's, there's loads of people who thought there was, I don't know, who are like great and like great singers or great dancers and great actors, but they don't want to go fully into that thinking, oh, they can't have a sustainable life uh, or it's going to take years. Um, there's definitely opportunities for, for our communities to get, get into any industry. So it's just that. You need to grind until you get there um, and keep on grinding. Like definitely not stick to the typical Tamil culture where uh, we shouldn't do any arts and culture. We shouldn't get into, I don't know, stocks and shares. Definitely diversify your knowledge and uh, get into other stuff. Great. Well, that's a good way to kind of end off the podcast. Before we do that, episode 20, that's when I interviewed uh, Twabador, who is medical <laughs> business partner. So oh, wow. I'll definitely, I'll definitely check it out. Yeah. Appreciate you jumping on and making time. I think the audience will enjoy, you know, especially those wanting to, you know, there's a big yearning to kind of learn more about NFTs and just crypto in general. A lot of people still figuring that out. So hopefully this will get them to kind of look into it more and maybe even jump onto your project or others. Um, so yeah, if anybody wants to reach out or connect with you, uh, what's the best way for them to do that? So if they want to reach out to me, um, either on Instagram, Charles Bosco, or Twitter, also Charles Bosco. Um, and you can see on my bio, I'll have links to the Millionaire Monkey Club and all these places. Um, but yeah, Ara, thank you for having me on board. Um, yeah, your, your previous article on uh, Tamil culture got so many people into uh, the Millionaire Monkey Club. Uh, so definitely a big shout out to you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> awesome. No, thank you for, thank you for that shout out. I appreciate it. And Thanks again, Charles. And for those of you listening, as always, appreciate it and uh, look forward to the next episode, guys.